Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 110 with Jonathan Raymond, who really does a fine job unpacking his perspective on how personal and professional growth are really one thing and not two. So you're going to learn, one, how you can become the leader your team is waiting for, two, the makings of a perfect conversation, and three, approaches to receiving feedback constructively. So if you'd like to check out the show notes, the transcripts, or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep110. And while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of the other great stuff, such as the 10 Days to Winning at Work free email course or the Gold Nugget email summaries, which share our guest perspectives in a quick bit you can read in your inbox in under two minutes each or my training programs. There's a bunch of good stuff over there, awesomeatyourjob.com. And these particular show notes are found at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep. 110. So here's a quick bit about Jonathan. After 20 years of not being able to decide whether he was a business development guy or a personal growth teacher, Jonathan stopped trying to figure it out. He's the owner of Refound, an online training startup that offers good authority training programs for owners, executives, and managers. He's madly in love with his wife, tries not to spoil his daughter, and will never give up on the New York Knicks. Jonathan is the former CEO and chief brand officer of Emith, where he led the transformation of a global coaching brand and has worked in tech, clean tech, and the nonprofit world after graduating law school in 1998. He lives in Ashland, Oregon, a lovely town that's too far away from a warm ocean. Here's Jonathan. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me on. It sounds like you've got so much great stuff. I'd love to dig right into it. Can you start us off by maybe giving us some some background or context with your philosophy that personal growth and professional growth are, in fact, the same thing? Yeah. yeah you know, my, my career, I kind of bounced back and forth between business guy and personal growth, spiritual seeking for about 15 years. I had graduated law school in the late 90s and uh, went on my own kind of personal growth adventure, diving deep into meditation and yoga and different forms of psychology. And at the same time, I was founding and growing businesses. I had worked in the tech industry. I started a renewable energy company. And then I ended up, without any plan to end up there, as life has it, I ended up in the business coaching field, which was at least theoretically supposed to be this place where personal and professional growth go together. And I was surprised how little integration there was and how difficult it was to do. You know, so many people talking about, you read all, you know, leadership books and there's always, you know, quotes from famous personal growth and spiritual teachers. But when you work in most companies, it doesn't feel that way. And so that was puzzling to me. And and I struggled with that myself. And so that's where I, I came to launch Refound and write the book out of my own experience of being a CEO and seeing how hard that is to create a culture that goes beyond stated values and into embodied ones. Oh, that is that is well said. Stated values versus embodied ones. And I think I, I've seen a lot of hollow mission statements and, and yep. been in a few just fantastic organizations that really lived you know, their values and operating principles and the words, they mean something. Yes. So could you maybe give us a, an example on 
how the notion of, of dividing personal and professional growth seems crazy or an example of how personal and professional growth are absolutely are kind of like yin and yang or supportive or integrative or the same? I think that the challenge that most managers have is we stop short of a truly personal conversation. There's an example that I think of sometimes is I, and I used to have a guy on one of my teams, this was four or five years ago, and he was coming to the office and he was depressed. He just was not in a good way in his life. He had some talent. He was good at certain elements of his job, but the way that he was showing up was not good for the team. And I could tell he just wasn't happy. And I hesitated for a while. I didn't know how to bring up the subject. I didn't know how to talk with him about it. And then I kind of worked it out in myself. And I just, I said, hey, you know, you seem a little out of it. And we had one-on-ones that we were doing. And I said, you know, I don't know if you know this about yourself, but when you come to the office, you you seem kind of depressed and you, you seem just your energy is really heavy. And I just wondered, do you, do you know that about yourself? And he said to me, he's like, oh, thank you so much for saying something. I, you know, I'm just really going through a rough, a rough stretch and I just didn't know how to talk about it. And I thought I was masking it and keeping it out of work, but I guess I'm not. I didn't ask him what was going on. I didn't try to be his therapist, but I just let him know that I cared and that I was listening and that it mattered to me and that how he showed up mattered to our business and to our organization and that he had me as a support to be able to move through whatever that challenge was. But they weren't two things. It wasn't go fix your depression in your personal life and then come to work, you know, and and make everything fine. It's, well, what can we do? How is that maybe showing up here? Maybe there's, maybe there are elements that are showing up in your professional life that are part of the problem. What can we do about that? And so there, you know, there's, there are these patterns and these ruts that we all get stuck in and we get stuck in them at work. And so to be able to have open conversations and to have your office be a place where people can trust that they can share a little bit about what's going on with themselves. They don't have to present the perfect personality. Um, that's the, that's at least the start of that conversation. And then a lot of it comes from the manager being able, being willing to say to somebody, say, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times and this just isn't how we do it here. And I want to talk with you about this so that you can grow, but you got to be up for that journey. That's not a professional or personal, it's both, right? If a manager or a leader is willing to confront somebody in a compassionate and open way and say, look, this is our standard. These are the values that we say on the wall and there's a gap. Are you up for changing it? 99 times out of 100, people will say yes. One time out of 100, someone will, will dig in their heels over a long period of time and not move and we'll know that person has to go. Okay, well, thank you. That that really kind of makes it real and uh, very helpful. So I really was digging your book. Uh, the subtitle was perhaps the most inspirational I could think of in recent memory. Become the leader your team is waiting for. It's like, ooh, mm. I, I want to do that. And yeah. and then the, the main title there being good authority. So can you tell us, you know, what do you mean by each of those phrases, good authority and become the leader your team is waiting for? Yeah, let's, you know, we'll start with the, maybe the second part of it is, and this is from my own personal experiences. I thought that I was giving feedback. I thought that I was setting clear expectations. I thought that I was doing the things, and this was both at the C level and also as a junior manager, you know, over 15 years. I thought that I was listening, but I wasn't. I thought that I was empowering people, but I wasn't. And what my teams, and in particular, one one team in particular that I think about a lot. What they were wanting from me was not just to listen. That was that. There was a lot that I needed to grow to to listen better, 
but they needed me to act on what I was listening to. They needed me to, to hear their frustration with what was happening with you know, other directors or managers and leadership. And they needed me to advocate for them and say, look, here's what I think is going on on the team and here's, and here's why I think this is happening and we need to make a change as leaders. And because I was in the position of power to do that. And that's what they were waiting for. And they were waiting for me not to coddle them, not to tell them everything was gonna be okay, not to give them a gold star. They were waiting for me to challenge them. They were waiting for me to say, hey, here's what excellence looks like to me in this role. And you're doing some of those things, but here's some areas where there's some room to grow. Are you up for changing that? And then when I would frame that conversation the right way, then I was becoming the leader that they were waiting for. Up until that point, it was all talk. So that's where I got the, the second part of it. And the first part of it is, you know, I think if we, if we look back, we know about top-down command and control authority and those models. Those models have been around for a long time. You, you, still, you still see them out in the world. They still exist. That, you know, authoritarian style still exists. It doesn't work for most people. It certainly doesn't work for millennials and most modern employees. Uh, they don't respond well to authoritarian leadership styles. But here's the thing. What we've done in the last 10 or 15 years, in particular in the U.S., is a lot of companies with the best of intentions have tried the no authority model. Oh, we're all on the same team. Uh, Isn't it all great here? You know, blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't work either. And so good authority is my attempt to find that middle ground. It's not all powerful, top down authority, but it's not no authority either. It's mentoring, coaching. It's that spirit of being of being willing to say, hey, look, I've been there a little bit and I know some things and I had some experience. I'm not perfect. But, I, but I've been around this topic or this skill a little bit longer than you have, and I've got some things to share with you to help you grow. That's good authority. Oh, that is helpful. And uh, that was well said, you know, what about no authority, because I think I came from a management consulting background, and we used a tool called Rapid to determine mm-hmm. sort of decision-making roles. And so it's sort of like, you know, who has the D, who has the power to decide in a fair number of organizations, it's either like, we don't know, or (laughs) kind of nobody or take a collaborative approach, which is a a bit of a cop out to we're scared to say that, you know, this guy's in charge and and you're not or, or vice versa. Yeah. And you can be the thing is, is that authority is not the problem. And that's really what the book is about. It's authority is not the problem. It's when we show up as a jerk. (laughs) <laughs> we're in a position of authority and we micromanage and but it's not authority authority is not authority is just a structure it just says hey i'm responsible for the team for the result of this team i also have data that you don't have and but i also have job responsibilities that you don't have and you have job responsibilities that i don't have we have different roles on this team and that's fine there's nothing there's not a problem with that there's only a problem when people don't feel seen when people don't feel valued when they're on the employee side and when employees a lot of times And this is a huge gap right now. Employees don't know how to challenge their boss in a respectful way. So they either don't do it, which is bad for the culture, or they do it, they lash out. And this happens both ways, right? We're not good at at this point in human history. Our expertise, we're developing our expertise in being able to be real time with one another, to be able to say, hey, you know, that thing that you just did, that really upset me. And to understand how to communicate with another human being in a way that's candid, direct, but isn't accusatory. We're learning as human beings. And that, that's on both sides of management and the person in employment role in that context. And so that's really what 
needs to happen is to open up those conversations. And, that, and that's so much of what the book is about. It sounds like you've teed up the very next question I was curious to hear. And that is, you've got a chapter in your book entitled The Perfect Conversation, which mm. I found very intriguing. What makes a conversation perfect and, and how can we have more of those? The perfect conversation is the third step in a tool that's in the book called Accountability Dial. And the perfect conversation to me is one where everything is out on the table. The perfect conversation is not, we have figured it all out and we have all the solutions, okay? The perfect conversation is, hey, me as your, let's say I work for you, Pete, and you and you're, you want to help me improve the way that I keep agreements. Like I tend to be a little sloppy around the edges and sometimes I keep my agreements and, and sometimes I don't, right? And you want to help me grow. So the perfect conversation is a conversation where I'm willing to look at that pattern you're helping me see that pattern and how that's not just about work, right? You're saying things like, hey, Jonathan, so how might, now that we're having, now that I really appreciate that where you're open to having this conversation around keeping agreements and how important that is. And I'm just wondering, you know, is that something that shows up for you in the rest of your life also? Oh man, yeah, you know, that's something, you know, I have my, my wife is always telling me about, you know, whatever the thing is, right, where there's a bridge and it's not your job as the manager to create the bridge. It's your job to guide somebody to see, wow, you know, that's not just about work. The way that I manage my calendar, the way that I take risks or don't take risks, that's a statement about who I am in some way. And wow, thanks so much, Mr. Awesome Manager, because you're showing me how to use my job, not only to get the team result accomplished, but also in a way that I'm going to become a better version of myself. I'm in. Let's do this. Right? That's the perfect conversation. Well, that does sound exciting. And so uh, what are some, I guess, best practices or, or tips for, for getting there more often? The most important thing that managers need to do, and it's why our the online course that we do is really based around this, is creating structure. You can't go from zero to 60 when it comes to personal growth. You have to give people data. You have to point out, hey, you know, I noticed this thing. You seem a little this way, right? And then you come back and you're in a conversation with them where you get them thinking about their patterns. We have a tool called the Growth Meeting Guide. I'm not sure if we'll, we'll try to put that in the show notes. If people sign up at, at Refound, that's one of the first things you get in your email is a meeting planner where you actually get the things that are in your head about your employee. You think you're thinking all kinds of things. You're feeling all kinds of things. Get those things out of your head so that you can start to say, hey, you know, I noticed that you seem to be really quiet in meetings when some of the other directors around. And I wondered if you noticed that, right? Pointing out those behaviors where you see people holding themselves back from being their best and doing that over time. So the best practice is to, is to do it gradually. You don't pull somebody aside in the middle of a day and, you know, try to reboot their entire personality. Like that doesn't work. You have to warm people up to the concept. You have to show them a pattern. You have to get them thinking about why this should matter and how it's going to help them. And then you keep your ears open and listen. Powerful. Thank you. So you said that's one tool within the accountability dial and it's really great one. What are some of the others there? There are four questions that I often ask managers to ask their employees. So if you pick a behavior, here are the four questions. So let's say, let's say the behavior is playing it safe uh, when it comes to taking creative risks. Okay. Let's say that's the pattern that you're observing. They don't, someone doesn't stretch beyond their comfort zone. So ask them this, when they don't stretch by beyond their comfort zone, how does it make their teammates job harder or more frustrating? That's the first question. Second question, when they don't stretch beyond their comfort zone, 
how does it make you, you, your job as their manager, how does it make my job harder or more frustrating? Third, when you don't stretch beyond your comfort zone, how does it make the lives of our vendors, our customers, our partners, how does it make their life harder or more frustrating? And then fourthly, when you don't stretch beyond your comfort zone, how does it hold you back from becoming the kind of person that you want to become? And those four questions, and again, those are in the tool. When you ask those questions, it immediately takes it out of the realm of accusation and shaming and causing people to get defensive and just inviting them to look at. And because most of the time you will find, you already know this, if you're listening, you know this already personally, is that when somebody point, as long as somebody does it kindly, when somebody points out something to you about how you're behaving in a way that's impacting others, what's your first response is, oh my God, I had no idea I was doing that. I don't want to do that. Like, I got to change that, right? Any conscientious person, we might get a little defensive. We might go, oh, that's BS. You know, we might kick and scream a little bit. But somewhere in there, our better angels are going to go, wow, well, that's not good. And we're going to make a change. And so your job and that and this tool, these four questions are very effective in flipping the conversation. This is not about me trying to change you. This is about me trying to help you connect how you're showing up with impacts in a way where you go, wow, I don't, I can do better than that. Well, those questions, they sure seem to pack a punch. And I (laughs) I guess I'm curious, you said the good angels, I'll be the devil's advocate here then. So I'm wondering if some folks on the receiving end of that could, in in fact, do some some lashing out. It's like, why are you guilt tripping me about this? Mm -hmm. Or, geez, Jonathan, uh, you know, I'm I'm a grown man. You don't have to patronize me like this. So Mm -hmm. if you get some of a resistance or backlash, what's that sort of the next step to handle that well? One of the skills to develop is to be able to pivot conversations, right? So sometimes you get people and they say like, wow, you know, that's, well, I don't understand why you're accusing me of that, right? And so you be able to, you, so you can be able to stay in contact with them. It's like, wow, that's interesting that you're having such a strong reaction. What, is it something in the way, do you think that that's not a fair question? That's a question that I would ask myself. If you think that's not a fair question, let's talk about that. So you gotta be able to hold your seat it's part of being an authority is not to collapse when somebody gets defensive because people get defensive to test you and see if you're going to hold your ground, right? So if the first, if you give some constructive feedback and you're the boss and somebody says, whether you're the manager or the CEO and they says like, you know, and, and they come back with a strong reaction, then you might note that and be like, wow, that's interesting. I don't, I don't think that I said that in an accusatory way. I'm open to hearing if you think that I did. Yeah, that's good. This kind of reminds me of... Well, I guess the word grown up just comes to mind in terms of, you know, these are powerful questions that can be challenging. And it seems like some folks will love it and embrace it and some will go uh, maybe kicking and screaming. But you said the ratio is pretty darn good in terms of about, you know, 99% of the time, if you're warming it up gradually, folks, they roll with it. Well, here's the thing. Let's come back to what we talked about at the beginning, the difference between stated values and embodied values. If you have a value of professionalism and Mm -hmm. responsibility and integrity, and you give somebody, as long as you've done it kindly and you built it up and you, you created some context where they know that this is not attacking, this is you caring about them, and they get defensive and they kick and scream and they go toxic with their teammates, they're not supposed to be working there. Okay. That's you embodying your values and saying, you know what, this is really important. And it's not just about getting the tasks done in your inbox. That's not how we evaluate people here. That's part of it. 
but part of it is how you show up. And right now with resisting and not being able to hear feedback, like that's not a good team. And I'm, I'm not going to support you in continuing that behavior. So absolutely. It's about creating a culture of fully functioning adults. And, you know, there's an amazing video that Simon Sinek did an interview that's out, you know, and that this is our responsibility. I fully agree with him in this, that it's not to trash millennials because there's a lot of people who are 50 or 60 that do this too. But most organizations, especially organizations that do, that talk about culture, do a lot of coddling. They do a lot of looking the other way on non-adult behaviors. And in my mind, if you want to create a great culture and a high-performing team, you should have very little space for non-adult behavior. Maybe once and then like, hey, not showing up on time, that's not okay. If you have a job that requires, not every job requires you to be there at a certain time, but if your job requires you to be there at 10 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever it is for your shift, well, then you got to be there. And we don't have, we don't make five exceptions to that rule. And there's a way to be caring and set boundaries at the same time. And there's not nearly enough of that happening in, in most progressive cultures. Mm. Well, I'd also like to hear, you used a phrase in your writings about unpacking unconscious bias. Can you tell us what does that mean? Why is it important? And, and how do we do it? So the, there, this unconscious bias, which is, which is, of course, you know, all over the place these days. And the, and the most common form of unconscious bias is confirmation bias, which neurobiologists will tell us, neuroscientists will tell us, and mindful meditators will tell you the same thing, is that we look for information that confirms what we already believe. And we filter out information that goes against it or counters it, right? We do this out of necessity. It's human. It doesn't make you a bad person. doesn't make you small-minded. It doesn't make you evil. It's just what we do. It's a functional necessity of being a human being. We have to filter out a lot of data. And so when we pl- apply that in the work context and we all of a sudden, don't, we don't know we're doing it, but we're treating women differently than we're treating men because maybe we have some history that is informing that, but we're not conscious about that, right? We, we give men a second chance on things that we don't give women a second chance on. That's unconscious bias. That happens, or we look on, a, on an employment application and because a name sounds African-American or from a Asian, an Asian origin, we don't know we're doing it, but we might not put that name to the top of the pile. So a lot of it happens in the hiring process, but it happens in real time. And, it's, and there's ways to look at you have to listen, you have to ask questions and to observe the organization and see what's happening and look for the patterns. If you work on a team and you're surrounded, if you're, let's say you're a white male and everybody on your team is white male, you got some unconscious bias going on. Are you going to look at that or are you going to pretend it's not there? You know, if you look at leadership teams, it's changing, but it's not changing fast enough. Most leadership teams, especially in tech and a lot, you know, there's a lot of white men. That's a problem for women trying to make their way in the organization because they don't have a lot of role models for how do you inhabit authority as a woman. It's so complex and you don't have to solve it, but you have to ask the questions if you want to create the kind of culture that feels inclusive and not just diverse on the surface, but intellectually diverse. That's, those are the kind of places people want to work. Mm, thank you. And so we talked a number of times here about the honest, hard, or challenging sort of questions and, and feedback offering. I guess I'm wondering, we talk about being adult, what are some best practices or behaviors when it comes to being on the, the receiving end of that feedback and getting it, first of all, if it's hard to come by, and then using it well? Mm-hmm. 
The most difficult thing I think to do as an employee is to separate the message from the messenger. It's very hard when you have a boss that you don't like or you don't respect or you think that they're hypocritical in one way or another. It's both very difficult to do, but the most important thing to do is to separate the message from the messenger. Let's assume you're right. They are hypocritical. You don't like them. They're not a great person to work for. They don't walk their talk. And what is true about the piece of feedback that you just got or the review? Of, what can you take for yourself and say, you know what? I don't like the way they said it. I don't like the way they delivered it. And I think that they should have done it differently. But for my own self-development, I'm going to take 100% ownership of the truth that's inside of that feedback. It's the most difficult thing to do. It's so easy to just throw the thing aside because of the way it was delivered. That's the highest bar of self-responsibility that I know is to do that is say, look, I don't like the way it got to me, but it's here and I'm going to do something with it. And any final perspective on what should be happening or done in order to have great one-on-one meetings? If you're in, let's start with the employee side. This was always my, my dream. And I, and I was able to achieve this after a while as I started, you know, working this way is I want employees to start thinking about how can I own the one-on-one, right? So if you're, if you go to your, if let's say you have a weekly one-on-one, don't wait for your manager to initiate the conversation. Come prepared. What do you want to work on? There's something you want to get better at. Be proactive. Go into that meeting and say, hey, before we talk about anything else, there's something that I want to be, I want to work on and I would like your help with. Can we talk about that? That's a manager's dream. That's the CEO's dream is when people, you want to distinguish yourself and set yourself apart from the crowd. Be proactive about your own growth and make your one-on-ones about you. And here's what I want to work on. Here's my goal for this year. And here's how I see it relating to my job. And if you want help developing that, send me an email, hello at refound.com, and I'll help you develop that conversation. That sounds ideal. Thank you. Well, Jonathan, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure we highlight before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I would just say the most, you know, we, just because we, we ended up talking a lot about, you know, difficult feedback and awkward conversations, just, I don't, I can't emphasize enough. The purpose of a one-on-one meeting, a recurring one-on-one meeting is that you have a positive frame. You have a positive conversation that's happening on a regular basis where you're recognizing all the good things that this person is doing. So that when you have to have an awkward conversation or a tough conversation, there's a context. It's not coming out of the blue. So we spend a lot of time talking about the tactics of how to pivot that conversation. But if you try to do that without having that weekly one-on-one conversation where that person already feels like you're on their side, it's not going to go well. So remember to keep it in balance. Oh, thank you. Okay, well then, can you start us off by sharing a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? The quote that I put at the front of the book is one that I live by, which is, we teach best what we most need to learn. <laughs> and I think that that's true in so many different ways. It's such a, it was from uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, I think, is where that actually comes from, an old book. But we teach best what we most need to learn. And so whatever that is that you're teaching, a good thing to look at is, well, how, do I, how do I need to get better at that? What am I trying to teach myself in that process? And and how about a a favorite book or, you know, something that you turn to again and again? I like to read, uh, I like to read comedy and, you know, and different things. And so I would say these days, you know, we read a book uh, with our family called Three Bags Full, which is probably a, it's a a sheep detective story. And uh, I think it's great to get out of the work mode and into a, uh, a more playful state of mind. And especially if you have kids and you want, and you like reading books out loud, 
Uh, three bags full is a great one. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, whether that's a, a product or service or app or thought framework you find yourself turning to again and again? Uh, there's a couple of tools that I use that I really like. I, I'm a big fan of Drip that I use for my email service. I like the, there's a really simple tool to use. And uh, I really like the HubSpot has a free uh, CRM. You know, their marketing tools can be very expensive, but they have a great sales tool uh, that you can use if you're in the sales um, world. That's a really nice kind of visual flow interface and uh, really like that tool. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you be more awesome at your job? Walking. Get up from your desk, wherever your desk is. I mean, I have a raisable desk. I, I feel fortunate to be able to stand when I work sometimes. But the best thing that I do is to get up from my desk and go outside and don't bring my phone and just go for a walk, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. Um, go for a walk, give yourself some space to be with your own thoughts without distraction a couple of times throughout the day. You'll be far more productive when you do get back to your desk. Okay. And how about a a favorite sort of a nugget or quote or or Jonathan original that tends to get folks nodding their heads, taking notes, retweeting, Kindle book highlighting, kind of really connecting with an articulation of your message? The thing that people um, often resonate with is this idea that personal and professional growth are one thing, not two. And how about the the best way to contact you or get in touch if folks want to learn more and see what you're up to? We've got a host of free stuff at refound.com. So that's R-E-F like Frank, O-U-N-D.com. And people can reach out to me, hello at refound.com. And if you mention that you heard this podcast, I will send you a 10% coupon for uh, any of the programs if you want to enroll in one of our training programs. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue forth to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yes. Here's the challenge. So there's one conversation. There's probably more than one, but there's one conversation that you're thinking of having right now. If you don't take an action, you're going to wait until tomorrow and then you're probably going to let it go. So my challenge to you today is don't do that. Have that conversation. Find that five minutes. Pull that somebody aside. Do it kindly. Do it compassionately. Find a way to share what's been on your mind and open up a new conversation instead of waiting till tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Well, Jonathan, this is so good and and juicy. I want to be chewing on this and, and thinking about some of those conversations in my own world. And thanks for everything. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much for having me on and, uh, and great questions. I love that wise perspective about separating the message from the messenger when receiving feedback and how that can really enable you to receive feedback and wisdom from all sorts of people. Whether you like or respect them or not, there may well be a kernel of, of great wisdom that makes the difference there. So thank you for that, Jonathan. So if you want to check out the, the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep110. And I recommend you punch the subscribe button so you will catch folks like our next guest, Mark Miller, who is talking about career pivots and what to think about how to execute them and how it all goes down. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 